0: a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Praise the Lord for the reading of his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we hear uh, the explanation, of your word that your spirit might use this proclamation so that our eyes would be open and that we would see the glory that you have in the face of jesus christ cause us lord god to delight in our experience of you through your word and desire the lord jesus to be our highest delight we pray this in jesus name amen and amen Identity. Identity is a famous word both in our modern society and Christian life. What would you say if someone asked you, what is it like to be a Christian? Or how do Christians identify themselves? I'm giving you a little moment to think about that. Well, your response to this question is important because if you don't know how to describe who you are as a Christian, you may have a serious misunderstanding of what it really means to be a Christian. Let me tell you an illustration, a story that illustrates what I mean by that. Uh, The majority of older people today can use an iPad, even if they aren't very tech savvy. in 2012, a 30-second video clip of a German grandfather and a younger woman who was cooking in a kitchen earned 1.7 million views on the internet. The old man can be seen cutting vegetables on a chopping board in the background while the young woman steers a pot. However, it becomes clear right away that the chopping board is actually the iPad that his granddaughter gave him as a gift as the old man put the veggies on the pot and wipes clean the iPad after rinsing it in the sink. Well, I can only imagine how terrified we would be at the thought of the same thing happening to our favorite gadgets. Now, seeing from the point of view of this young woman, we now understand how important it is to rightly identify valuable things we have in life. Otherwise, we might end up, like this grandfather, not being able to fully enjoy his new iPad by utilizing it as his greatest shopping board. When we understand something for what it is not, we will not know its real value. And the same thing is true to our Christian Identity. If we don't know who we are in Christ, if we don't know what we are as God has called us, it will affect our perspective in Christian life. We will see it the wrong way, and we might end up living differently than how God wants us to live a Christian life. Our text today helps us avoid making this kind of mistake By giving us a picture, a better picture of who we are in Christ so that we can appreciate how valuable is God's calling to us as his special people. And this is what I hope you will remember after this sermon. Our main point is simply this. Glorify God in our way of life because we are God's special people. Glorify God in our way of life because we are God's special people. And we shall see this explained by answering two questions. The first question can be found in verse 9 to 10. What does it mean to be God's special people? And then verse 11 to 12, we will see the answer. What is it like to live as God's special people? Again, two points that we are going to see in this passage. What does it mean to be God's special people? And what is it like to live as God's special people? So let's proceed to the first two verses of our passage. Let's read it again from verse 9 to 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light once you were not a people but now you are God's people you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy <laughs> knowing what something isn't can help us understand better for what it truly is and so first the first thing that we need to see is that peter started this passage with the word but which encourages us to see the contrast Of what it is to be God's people so let's see first what does it mean to be not God's people look with me a few passages before our text which starts from verse 7 Peter said in verse 7 that for those who are unbelieving the stone that the builders rejected this one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over and a trap and a rock to trip over they stumble because they disobey the word; they were destined for this. Now, this passage demonstrates how terrible it might be if we misunderstood something. Peter says that though Jesus is clearly the one that God gave this Israelite, the Israelite people, to be the cornerstone that God has placed in building His spiritual house the Israelites did not get it. They did not get it because of their unbelief. They do not want to believe Jesus because they don't want to obey His word. They don't want to obey because they do not want to turn away from their sin and their self-righteousness. And as a result, they rejected Jesus. But Peter tells us, That the reason why they rejected him in the first place is because they were not chosen. They were destined for this. This explains that only by God's mercy and grace can a person become God's people. Now let's see what it is to be God's people. What does it mean to be God's people in Peter's time? In contrast to those who are not God's people, Peter uses Old Testament passages to explain to them how God calls people to himself. And one of the passages that he used can be found in Exodus 19, verse 5 to 6. Moses told the Israelites, Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the people's although the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. Isn't this passage look alike with the text that we are studying today? This passage describes how God calls Israel to himself to be his particular people, a people for his own possession, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. But now, Peter claims that all Christians has inherited this calling. The apostle Paul saw the same thing. In Titus 2:14, Paul said that God redeems us from all lawlessness to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession to do good works. And so both Peter and Paul agree that all Christians now share the same identity of God's calling towards Israel. Christians, you are people owned by God. You are a kingdom of royal priests. You are a holy nation. Christians have inherited Israel's blessing. But as Israel's blessing connotes responsibility, Christians also inherited responsibility to live a devoted life unto the Lord to do good works for the glory of God. Many people today understand Christian identity or Christianity overall differently than how Peter and Paul see it during their their time. Some think that they are Christians because they were born Christians. Because my parents baptized me as a newborn, or I was baptized when I, uh, I was born on a Christian parent and I never changed my religion, therefore I'm a Christian. This is commonly the statement that we can hear when we ask some of them. I was born in a Christian country and so I'm a Christian. This explanation never matches the Bible's description of what Christian means. Different people have different ideas of what a church is. Today, we find various churches that are identified by its demographics or its primary goals or values that they they pursue as, as a church. For example, if today I search on Google, church for moms near me, the internet would give me a list of those kind of churches. Or, I can search for churches for old people who love tradition. And Google will give you the answer. I can also search for churches for young people, singles, and contemporary music lovers. I could list more, mention more. But I'll stop here. While these churches are well-meaning, I'm not saying they're fully wrong, these aren't primarily how God creates and wants His church to be identified. So in light of this, our text calls us to realign our understanding of what makes God's people. And I'm afraid that if we do nothing about this confusion, we will, give, we will get the wrong idea of Christianity or Christian life. Just like how that German uh, grandfather mistakenly identified ipad as a chopping board if our understanding for example of christianity is all about blessedness then we might quit believing jesus immediately the moment difficulties sufferings persecutions happen to our lives being a christian and so therefore i argue today that we must realign our understanding to how god defines christianity and the church and we should see that as how Peter described it so how does God want his people to be identified today according to our passage Peter teaches that a people a Christian is a people that God has chosen a Christian or a church is a people that God has chosen look with me again in verse 9 in verse 9, we can see Peter describes God's people, a chosen race. Now, the title chosen, chosen race, emphasizes God's loving initiative. He chose them. God lovingly chose a people for himself. And a while ago, we read from Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 22, how Moses reminded the Israelites that the privilege they received from God is not something that they earn. God has chosen, sovereignly initiated himself to choose them. He has set his heart heart to them to love them. So God lovingly saved Israel from their slavery, slavery, brought them out of Egypt into the land of promise that he is giving them. Because of this, Moses told them that the proper response to God's kindness is to live a life of holiness and obedience to his will. And the reason why you are doing this is so that God's name might be known throughout the land, so that God's glory might be displayed. This is not to say that our obedience earns our way to God. As a matter of fact, if we will look in the history of Israel, Many of them must disobey and fail to be identified as God's chosen ones. This is to say that their obedience is an evidence of who they are accordingly. They are God's chosen people. And ultimately, this has been fulfilled at the coming of Jesus Christ. God's choosing of His people has ultimately happened when Jesus Christ, the true offspring, the true Israel, has shown His perfect obedience as the evidence that God is calling a people to Himself. In this regard, God calls all people to be united to Jesus Christ because He is the only one who has shown His perfect obedience and righteousness. Only through Jesus Christ can one be counted as God's chosen people. However, many people today get the wrong idea of what it is to be Christians. Many assume that Christianity and all the other religions are just the same. They all point back to God by doing a checklist of things to do so that I can be accepted by God. There's no difference between being a Christian and being this kind of religion, they say. But the Bible corrects our understanding of that. This means that if you are a Christian, you don't need to um, think that you need to pray, you need to read the Bible, you need to go to church, you need to be baptized so that you will become a Christian. No, all these things are a result of God saving you through Jesus Christ. You do these things as an evidence that God has saved you, God has chosen you to be one of His people. Now this leads to another important truth. Another truth that we can see from this passage is that Christians are a people that God values. Christians are a people that God values. Peter says, That God gave them the title royal priest. And so our service to our God is a service to a royalty. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. Israel gets to experience what it is to be near God. And so Christians get that privilege as well by virtue of their union in Jesus Christ. We get to experience how it is to be near God through the dwelling presence of God in his people. Hebrews 4.14 says that all Christians have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is able to sympathize with, with our weakness. We are better, we have better privileges than the Israelites because now we can come boldly before the throne of grace without being consumed because of sin. Why? Because God has given us Jesus Christ. Hebrews 7.27 says that we don't need to offer sacrifices every day to atone for our sins. Because Jesus has offered himself to us once and for all so that our sins have been forgiven. If this is your understanding of Christianity, this will give you greater confidence in coming before the presence of God and being his royal priest. You do not need the mediation of something like a secretary to the boss to get you into his office. No, you, we come boldly to the throne of the grace of God. We do not need the mediation of St. Peter, St. Joseph, or Mary, the mother of Jesus, to plead on our behalf because Jesus, the great high priest, is the one pleading for his people. We do not need to kill a lamb to atone for our sins because Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, is the only one who has the clean hands the only righteous one who can ascend before the presence of God has offered his sinless and perfect life, righteous life so that it can be shared and be, be imputed by God to those who will believe in Jesus Christ we do not carry an insignificant identity, God values us as his royal priest the third thing what we can see in this passage is that a, a Christian is a people holy to God. Yes, God has chosen us to be his people. God gives value uh, to his people. But also, God has called his people to a holy living. And P- Peter uses this language found in Exodus to remind Christians that many Isra- Israelites weren't able to live this kind of life. Many of them disobeyed, and many of them did not reach the promise. Therefore, it is a reminder for all Christians that our holy living is an identification that God has truly saved us. It is an evidence that God has truly saved us. And this is the reason why the church guard itself against unholiness. This is the reason Paul says to the church of Corinth, remove the evil person among you. And he warns the church in Galatia that a little sin affects the whole church, a little liven, liven the whole lump. The church as God's people must be set apart from sin and unrighteousness. And this is the reason why I think Every church must practice church membership and church discipline. We must practice church membership to identify who truly belongs to the holy people of God, those who have the right profession uh, profession of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only those who truly understand the holiness through Jesus Christ should be part of His church. And this is the reason why also we practice church discipline by marking out ourselves from the unholy practices of the unbelievers so that the name of God will not be blasphemed by the unbelievers. We remove from the church those who are unrepentant from their sins and scandalously causing the the holy name of God to be blasphemed by the ungodly. We protect the church because Christians, church, you are a people that is holy. To God, You are a people that God calls out of darkness to become His church, to the people of light. God sets apart a people to Himself so that they can be a people of light and not a people of darkness. Romans 5.10 says that we were God's enemies before we were reconciled to God. 1 Thessalonians 1.9-10 says that we turned from serving idols to serve the living God. And brothers and sisters, this is the idea of conversion. This is the idea of repentance. It is a kind of conversion experience. God transforms us into a new kind of being. A holy people unto God's glory. So for those who are hearing this kind of teaching for the first time today, this passage serves as a question for you. Do you see your need uh, for God to bring you out from darkness and move you into His kingdom of light? If so, you need to repent from your sin so that you can become His people. Repent from your sin and believe in the power of God's salvation through Jesus Christ. Because only Jesus Christ can save you and make you be united to God's people. How does God want His people to be identified today? He wants His church, He wants Christians to be identified as people chosen by Him, loved and valued by Him, and to be a holy people for the praise of His name. This is the last portion that we can see in this passage. The reason why He did this is that so that His name might be glorified. Therefore, a church, a Christian, is a people for his glory. Peter uses plural words such as those, them, they, and you throughout his letter. All of these titles, like kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, communicates a group of people, it communicates a corporate role, it communi- communicates a community. In short, these people God uh, has chosen belongs to his assembly or to the church of Jesus Christ. And they have a purpose. And what is that purpose? Peter says, so that they may proclaim God's praises. In short, the church displays the glory of God. Peter wants us to see that all these titles that belong to Israel now belongs to all Christians or belongs to the church so that we can live our lives to the glory of God's name. This passage urges us to rethink our idea of Christianity. If I would think that Christianity is all about me and what I can get from the church, then I am seriously mistaken. The right perspective is that God calls people to belong to His church. It is corporate. That's the reason why when you read Peter, James, John, Paul, and all the rest of the New Testament writers, they address their letters to the church. And so if Christians today will comprehend the depth of our identity in Christ we will have a different perspective in Christian life we will not undervalue the church we will not describe it as a, a place for fun for comfort or for relaxation the church will not be a place for hiding our sins towards outro, uh, outward, uh, uh, through outward holiness The church will not be a place to uh, earn self-righteousness, to earn our way to God. Instead, the church will be a display of God's glory because God's people understand the depth of their calling. Now that we have described what it means to be God's special people, the next important question that we should answer is this. What is it like to live as God's special people? What is it like to live as God's special people? So let's look at our next passage, which is coming from verse 11 to verse 12. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers they will observe your good works, and will glorify God on the day he visits." This letter that Peter has written is not written primarily so that Christians would have a better opinion of themselves. There is a deeper reason why Peter has written this letter And the reason is to remind them of their calling. And sometimes we read uh, and learn about church history or uh, a Bible passage, but really do not identify with those people whom we are reading. Uh, These are Christians in the past. And if we come to know what kind of life these Christians had while they were still living, I'm afraid that many of us wouldn't want to be identified with their Kind of life sometimes we are astonished by their bravery by their resilience and by their heroism however if we are put into an unfamiliar situation in life into some problems into some pressing hard situation the way we react reveals really how we understand god's calling the way we live our lives gives evidence if we really believe what we've learned about what it means to be God's special people. And so the remaining passage of our sermon serves as a challenge for Christians today. Are we living a life as God's special people? If yes, does it, does it look like a life that is fully devoted to God? Now, according to Peter, a life that is fully devoted to God is, first of all, uh, a life to live it like a stranger or sojourners of the land. Look with me again in verse 11. What does it mean to be strangers of the land? Peter said, I urge you as strangers and exiles. When Peter was writing this, Christians were dispersed abroad. In uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 1, Peter says that Christians were scattered in Pontus, in Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And so it communicates an idea that Christian lives in places which is not their home. They were foreigners. Now I understand that we can we can identify with them. Because we are foreigners in this country. We don't understand their ways, and sometimes they don't understand our ways. If Pastor Jesse will be going to the Philippines, for sure, he will find something like our practices or the things that we do as weird. But if I go to their place, I will find something else also as something strange to me. And so it is the same thing with the idea of being a Christian in this earth. This is the same language that Peter used for ourselves as Christians. We are strangers of earth. Some proof that tells us that we are strangers of this place is that people who do not believe uh, Jesus Christ find us strange in our actions. They think that it is strange if we do not fear death. They find it strange when we praise God in the midst of our suffering. They find it strange why we Forgive those who have wronged us, or we strive to, to live a righteous and holy life. Christians, this is not our place. They find us strange when we have different kinds of uh, values and practices because of our belief and faith in Jesus Christ. Christians do not tell lies, Christians do not have sex outside marriage. Christians forgive those who hurt them, and Christians do not place justice in their hands, but entrust themselves to God. We are strangers of this earth. We do not find pleasures from what the world can give, but we find pleasure in dwelling in the presence of our Lord. By praying to God, by reading His Word. We believe that this present life is not the only life there is, because we have eternal life in Christ Jesus. Second thing that we can see from this passage is that Christians live a life that is abstained from sinful desires. The word that Peter uses here is that it wages war against our soul to do sinful desires. It wages war, just like what Pastor Jesse has mentioned a while ago. It will wage war. It will not stop and so what's our attitude should be? We should be in an, in an offense mode. We should be ready to batter, to battle with our sinful desire. And the word that was used here is passion. Passion is always attached to a something that will happen or future uh, result. If you are passionate to something, it will result to something. For example, if you are passionate to arts, if you are passionate for a cause, if you are passionate to, to your spouse or to your children, you will do all things to have a result because of your passion. And so, the Bible calls us to run away, to flee, to deprive ourselves from these sinful passions. We deprive it by bringing it to life. And this is the reason why we confess our sins to one another. That's the reason why we, we pray the prayer of confession. Uh, of confessions. It's because we bring our sin to light, because sin thrives in darkness. Brothers and sisters, let's abstain from sinful desires. Another thing that we can see from this passage is that Christians live a life of good conduct. And Peter encourages Christians to glorify God at all times by doing good works. Sometimes our idea of glorifying God is limited to contemporary worship like singing and praising Him through uh, music. But according to Peter, another sure way that we can glorify God's name is by the conduct of our lives in a manner worthy of His calling. We are living among the unbelievers. And so if the unbelievers do something wrong about us, we should conduct ourselves rightly in a manner worthy of his calling so that God's name will be praised at the day he visits. It is difficult, but the Bible empowers us what we need to do. We need for life and godliness. He has given us the church. He has given us the word of God. He has given us uh, the Holy Spirit, the deposit, the assurance of our faith. I know that sometimes it is hard to conduct our lives honorably, especially during the pressing situation. But remember who we are in Christ Jesus. This is the only way we will be able to do good works for the praise of His name. Some helpful rem- reminders are in the form of question. When situation calls us to react sinfully, ask yourself, what reaction shows one who has been bought by the blood of Jesus? When someone wrongs you, you can ask, because God has forgiven me of my many sin many sins, what response should I return? When difficulty in marriage comes up, ask yourself this question. What godly husband responds communicates sacrificial love the way Christ has sacrificed his life for the church? What reaction should I do so that, I, that the word will sanctify my wife so that he can sh- she can share on the day of Christ's return? The grace of God. Wives, ask yourself this question. What reaction shows that I can entrust myself to the Lord as I respectfully submit myself to my husband and consider him the leader of my home? And as a member of this church, we can ask, am I loving? Am I patient? Am I understanding? Am I open to corrections, ready for the building up of the body of Christ? Brothers and sisters, does our thoughts, words, and deeds show that we are delivered by God from darkness into his light conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of God's marvelous grace and last that we can see in this passage is that Christians lead their life faithful until his return the last part of our text is interesting because it all it will it answers the question until when until when this is the hard part uh, of Christian life when we experience trials and suffering we ask the Lord until when will I experience this? The Lord encourage us through his word be faithful until the day he visits his people, which means until Christ comes back In John 16 33, I want this to be to uh, to serve as an encouragement to us The Lord Jesus told his servants you will have suffering in this world But be courageous I have conquered the world. Jesus has conquered the world. Problems in Christian life arises in many aspects, like money, marriage, career, problems in community, in workplaces, at school. Whether between Christians or not, non-Christians, or any kind of situation, places that the Lord has uh, placed us in, Brothers and sisters, we need to be faithful because God has been faithful to us. Brothers and sisters, the last question that I'd like to answer is this. Why do we have to do all these things? Can I not be a Christian and just live the the way I wanted? Should I really be a stranger in this world and cannot conform with the patterns of this world or do i really need to be holy our text teaches us in first peter that we can live a life glorifying to god because god has chosen us first peter chapter 2 verse 2 says that those whom god has chosen are born in him we have a new identity we are now a people of god because of Jesus Christ. We are newborn infants and our nature is automatically desire Him. Desire the Word that comes from Him which is our spiritual milk. We do not desire to disobey the Word. We desire to obey it. And Peter says, you do it if you really have tasted that the Lord is good. And so the answer to these questions that I just mentioned is that we do all these things Because it serves as an evidence that we have been really a people who have experienced God's mercy and grace and have been chosen by God. We do all these things because they are natural evidence that we are truly God's special people. Think of it this way. Uh, The purpose of a light bulb is to give light. It will not be a light bulb if it doesn't serve its purpose. However, it is true that the light bulb will not give light also if it is not connected to the source of power. Brothers and sisters, it's the same thing in our Christian life. God has chosen us as special people to do good works. We are to light up, to reflect our nature. But that will not happen. It will not be connected to our source of power which is our identity in Christ Jesus. And so, from first to last, the purpose of God's calling is for the glory of His name. We are brought from darkness into light. God has chosen us. God has called us to be His holy people, a people for His own possession, to proclaim His praises. But we, leave, we need to live our life fully devoted to Him, holy unto Him, So that when the Gentiles uh, uh, speak evil about us, they will glorify God in the day when Jesus Christ visited us. From first to last, our calling as God's people is for the proclamation of the glory of His name. Church, let us not have a misunderstanding of what it is to be a Christian just like that grandfather Instead, understand the magnitude of God's call for us to be His church. The church displays God's glory when she understands that God has chosen her, God values her, God wants her to be holy so that she might proclaim God's praises. The church will glorify Jesus Christ, her husband, on the day of His return. Brothers and sisters, when the church is wedded to Jesus Christ in, the, in His return, all peoples, including the evil doers, all the Gentiles, will glorify God. We are owned by Jesus because we were bought with a price, His precious blood. When we understand this rightly, it will give us a proper perspective on Christian life. We are God's special people, and so let us live our life fully devoted unto the lord for the praise of his name let's pray